on this episode of the Medusa Metacast, Rational Abstinence Royalty. Let's dive in. Rather than discuss a shortcoming of reason, as I did with the previous parts, I'm going to elaborate on a competing tool we have in our arsenal that drives a wedge between us and our reason. Emotions. Before anyone interprets my approach to be one where I am insinuating that we become unfeeling robots that mechanically conduct ourselves according to whatever lifeless goals we've rationally constructed, this is not what I'm setting out to do. Not only would this be impossible, but I wouldn't recommend it. Nearly every experience worth having is largely emotional or sensory, and negative emotions often inform us of potential threats. Simply put, emotions are necessary for our survival. It would also be nearly impossible to make a convincing argument to justify living our lives as self-aware animals in their absence. I will say, though, that emotions are fairly poor in guiding us towards reliable strategies that may fulfill our desires in any meaningful way over time. There are many ways to feed our hunger, but how to do it best, with what nourishment, or whether it's wise to feed it at all, are all considerations with outcomes that can only be reached with reason. Emotions are our hunger, and they aren't often sated without reason. If you are forever in need, you may want to reconsider your diet. Let's first start with how it is they compete, and often win, against reason, before we move on to why we enjoy them. I think an easy place to begin would be to classify them as a state of being, rather than a process, like reason. Emotions are very present in our experience, as if they are indistinguishable. They are a product of a combination of our senses, and we feel them as if they were part of our very being. They are a state of existence, or at least they appear to be. They also have an involuntary feature that seems to propel us towards identifying the source of their epiphenomenal existence. I'm experiencing something. What is it? It's fear. I'm scared. What caused it? That, that thing they just moved in the tall grass over the corner of my eye? It was, it was very surprising. I think it's a snake. Is it a snake? I'm terrified of snakes. I, I don't see anything now. I'm not sticking around to find out if I'm right. There is an almost seamless transition between the conscious experience of a negative emotion and identifying what the cause of it is. Likely because all of this happens in less than a second. We do this for survival reasons, and we are naturally compelled to address that which we believe is the cause of the emotion, and viable solutions to rectify them if we find them threatening. They aren't all urgent, as not everything is a life-and-death scenario, and the urgency with which we act upon correcting them is correlated with how threatening we perceive them. It is important to emphasize that just because you perceive something to be threatening doesn't make it so. And if you believe something to be highly threatening, your measurement could be wrong. Stressors activate a fear response in us that occurs twice as quickly as our recognition of it. And this is very important for our survival. Our amygdala would rather us judge something incorrectly as threatening and survive, rather than fail to assess a threat properly and die. Our conscious experience of this response is obvious and it takes time for us to process that maybe it was an overreaction, and our reason is what we use to clarify the issue, which combats our natural fear response. 
Another feature of emotions is that they generally tend to be circumstantial and episodic, whether it be fear or joy, and their lack of permanence in our conscious experience makes them much more noticeable and distracting. They come and go, and when they come, they cannot be ignored, because even if they're inappropriate, they still need to be recognized and resolved in some manner. Something that we do all the time, like breathing, is no less an automatic neurological process, but it is constant, and as a result, we don't tend to notice every breath we take. The exception here would be if you just finished holding your breath, or were unable to breathe for a period of time, then it would become very noticeable when you started breathing again. Essentially, due to their episodic nature, emotions impose on your conscious experience until they are either recognized or resolved, and in this way, they are very attention-grabbing because of their impermanent nature. Finally, they are prominent in a way with which reason cannot compete. Their volume is much louder. Reasoning is certainly something you can enjoy, but you're probably never going to enjoy it to the same degree as winning a high-stakes competition, or eating something delicious, or having an orgasm. It would require you to suspend the emotional response to your conscious experience instead of being present in the experience itself. Reason just can't compete, nor should it. In many ways, to lose ourselves in our experience is what we usually call living. That is, to stand atop the apex of experiential existence. Again, I am not diminishing the value of this, but if all you eat is candy, no amount of brushing will prevent cavities, and these holes will need to be filled in one way or another. Before moving on as to why we enjoy emotions, I'd like to summarize the ways in which emotions compete with reason for our attention. The first is that we experience them as an involuntary state of existence, and we are compelled to be preoccupied by them. The second is that they are episodic and circumstantial, and as a result, they are very attention-grabbing. And the third is that once they have your attention, their presence is so domineering that it's difficult for us to switch gears to reason, even if we were inclined to do so. So then, as highly evolved primates, the immediacy of emotions provides for our survival. However, the higher quality outcomes that reason produces provide us with longevity. It's as if there is a correlation between the amount of effort invested into forming a strategy and how likely it is to provide us with long-term success. More time thinking about what the best sort and the best mechanism of nourishment staves off our hunger for longer, and sometimes for good. Who knew? I did. Despite the fact that reason is a more reliable tool for longevity and to produce an overall higher quality of life, there are many good reasons, and bad ones, that we enjoy lavishing in the states of emotion that bless and plague our existence. First, a minor elaboration on one of the aforementioned points regarding the volume of emotions and their ability to dominate our conscious experience is that we enjoy this domineering nature. Emotions elicit a far greater sense of engagement with reality, and we feel more alive when we believe there to be a more obvious grappling or relationship with reality in the heat of the moment. This isn't a bad thing. We can't, after all, wade through the tumultuous waters of life without having moments where it seems like the journey produces something exciting or worthy of our efforts. I won't speculate as to why each of us enjoys this, but it certainly conjures a relationship with reality in a way that places us at its beck and call, 
subservient to what it has on offer. This would be a fascinating discussion to have from an existential point of view and one of evolutionary drives, perhaps for another time. Another reason that we enjoy emotions is that they are quick reward mechanisms. We are presented with an experience and we are given an opportunity to recognize or resolve them in a way that is very likely to produce relief or joy. Emotions provide us with a sort of imaginary box next to it that we'd like to check off when we've accomplished the mission. I feel hungry. Check box after eating. I feel tired. Check box after sleeping. I feel happy. Check box after recognizing what is causing it so I can keep it around. I feel sad. Check box after speaking with a close friend. These ones are simple. Let's get a little more real and direct. Two things that I am often accused of being far too frequently, typically to my detriment. I feel lonely. Checkbox after settling on any average man or woman I come across, or adopt a dog so I don't need to put myself out there. I feel self-conscious. Checkbox after replicating whatever popular thing it seems others are doing right now so I don't need to risk being myself. I feel inconsequential. Checkbox after taking out my resentment on others or on reality because it's easier than working on myself. I feel anxious. Checkbox after developing a rigid and intense exercise regime, keeping busy socially, working hard and getting a stable job, and posting pictures of myself looking good online. Oh god, I hope no one notices I'm a mess. Do you love me yet? Please tell me you love me. Or, or, or just don't hate me. Please don't hate me. Oh, I, I just can't be left alone with my thoughts. Regardless of which boxes arise in your life, they have a corollary thought or action that we perform in order to check it. You'll notice that I've used obviously simplistic corollaries. Please allow me to explain. Let's assess one thing I think we can all relate to in some way. I feel self-conscious. Checkbox after replicating whatever popular thing it seems others are doing right now, so I don't need to risk being myself. This corollary was chosen not only to hopefully make you laugh a bit, but also because this is a very common approach to managing the degree to which we experience being perceived as apart from the group in a way that we don't enjoy. Let's eliminate the corollary and then ask a question. I feel self-conscious. Why? My second favorite question, following only closely behind whenever a cute server asks me, would you like another drink? The answer is usually yes. I'm only human. And a man. Why? 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 Oh, what a lovely question indeed. Feeling self-conscious is one thing, but the question why is the beginning of a rational process in discovery. Trying to answer why is the start of actually getting information about how something came to be, the nature of its existence, and possible considerations that may provide insight into yourself and the world around you. This is a rational process, and that is specifically why I didn't add it. This is a discourse about emotions, not reason. And as a result, why has no place here? Emotions provide some small amount of information about our conscious experience. Doing more than checking boxes is an exercise in reason. And if you'd like to know why we avoid doing it, read the first two parts on the rational abstinence that I've already posted. 
If you feel self-conscious and you'd like help answering why, then perhaps we can have a conversation about it. The answer isn't the same for everyone. Another reason that we enjoy emotions is due to how easily they are accessed. I can write a sentence with ease that will make you feel happy, or sad, or angry, or enraged, or pensive, or doubtful. We are highly susceptible to the influence of the world around us, which is why marketing is such a popular venture. Marketing has shown us that people and products don't even need to be good, or good for you, just as long as they spoon-feed it to you in a way that you'll enjoy. We are toddlers, and marketing departments are the parents flying the spoon around like an airplane, waiting for us to open our mouths so they can jam it in. The reason why we enjoy this is because if we're perpetually bombarded with shit that activates our emotions, we'll start to crave it. It's why the news doesn't prioritize news anymore, and why music doesn't prioritize originality anymore, and why art is mostly dead. All of it has been traded for lies, sounds, and nonsense that are designed to cause you to salivate. Drama, politics, conflict, celebrities, racism, classism, sexism, new album by pop artist, famous couples divorced. It's not a matter if any of these things are actually happening right now or not, or are even necessarily worth reporting on every day. It's that these sorts of things cause us to emote. They access our conscious experience and make us feel something. If these industries stop doing it now, we may become bored with their news, their music, and their products, and we'll look elsewhere, or heaven forbid, we may start to think for ourselves because we have a moment to breathe. You could say that they've done an excellent job to condition us to want a highly saturated diet of bullshit, and when we don't get our fix, we may find it elsewhere. I guess this is more like an addiction than something we generally enjoy, but when addicts get their fix, they would certainly describe it as enjoyment, even if it isn't good for them. Emotions have a familiarity to them, and that's why operant conditioning works. If you don't know what that is, I highly suggest you start to seriously learn about what sort of animal you are. People with power are certainly aware. A nice simple thing to throw in here would be that considering the fact that we have lots of reasons to abstain from rational processes, emotions are a readily available alternative, and that makes us enjoy it. It's the desirable and easily accessible thing that makes a great excuse to abstain from thinking. Before I elaborate on my last two and likely most important points as to why we enjoy emotions, I'd like to explain why the title of this discourse is Royalty, as the final points inform this title. Royalty, despite exactly which position you hold, is an existence where others serve at your pleasure. Despite your motivations, who you may harm in the process, important considerations, or whether or not it pushes the limits of what may be reasonable, who is going to challenge the crown after all? The expectation is that the subjects acquiesce. Bow to me. I order it. It is one thing to experience emotions. It is yet another to wield them as a justification. To wield emotions as a justification to achieve that which you desire is to don the crown of a king or a queen, or perhaps a spoiled prince or princess. I feel this way, so I must clearly get what I want. Petulant child. Here's the thing, though. 
Humans have great capacities for empathy, and we're also highly susceptible to threats of violence, or at least being made to feel uncomfortable. So if you wield emotions openly, as if you were royalty, you are very likely to get what you want. Another reason we enjoy emotions is precisely this. It is an excellent strategy to get what you want, because it pulls on the heartstrings of the caring and causes them to kneel before you. Whether it's an infant that is hungry, or a child who only begins to cry when an adult is around, someone who falsely professes to be the victim of a crime, someone who articulates their views framed with how much they've suffered and not with actual arguments, or if it's just the squeaky wheel in the assembly, they all get the grease. Emotions signal to others that there is a problem, and tears have social currency. If it weren't legitimate, why would they be so sad or angry? It's entirely possible that we have an honest and legitimate issue that plagues us, but it's also entirely possible that many of us understand game theory and know how to apply it to social interactions, especially in largely secular areas. Whether it be legitimate or not, emotions provide incredible leverage to an audience of intelligent and conscientious members of the same species. We all know this, so I don't know why we pretend that it isn't a game that some people are playing. Perhaps it's because everyone wants to be the savior? I'm not sure. Regardless, we know it can be used as a tool to get what we want, and with far more ease than it would take to examine and articulate a logical reason to justify our desires. Even after you do this, You'd still need to cooperate and discuss it with others to convince them that you're deserving of your desires. Or perhaps, you may even realize yourself that you don't deserve them. Nah, (laughs) why would I do that? I'll just use emotions and get it easy-peasy. Finally, the last reason that we enjoy our emotions rather than adopting reason is because it is a good strategy in a highly sophisticated world filled with brilliant people to maximize your pleasure while having to do none of the work. Living an emotional life is for the lazy and entitled, and that's me using gentle labels. Why would I go through all the trouble of thinking about things, such as how to make something, or solve complex problems, or create new and convenient ways to do things, when I live in a world filled with people who are already doing the heavy lifting? I'll just let them do it and enjoy the fruits of their labor. This is actually an excellent strategy in resource management from an evolutionary point of view. Why spend your time and efforts having to fend for yourself when you can rely on everyone doing it for you? You can just live the sort of life where you negate your bad emotions and maximize your positive emotions. You shall be hedonism incarnate. After all, when you wear the crown, everyone else serves at your pleasure. You're just here to be catered to while everyone else makes sure that you have food, roads, security, electricity, cars, technology, maintenance and repairs for your homes, homes in general, etc. You'll just do your thing and live your life and everyone else can shape and maintain the world around you that exists for your pleasure, despite the fact that you did nothing to contribute in building it. I don't mean any of this in a necessarily critical way. It's just that once the recognition of this occurs, it becomes apparent very quickly that we all take more in life than we give. If you're so inclined, you can maximize this exchange in your favor, and to an extent, 
We have millennia of evolutionary influence that may encourage us to do so. That being said, I actually wouldn't recommend it, because your life is likely to be absent a very important and, dare I say, necessary component of human happiness. Meaning. It feels good to be king or queen, doesn't it? Are you sure it's fair, though? And if you don't care about whether or not it's fair, then what will you do when everyone else starts donning their crowns? We'll have a system of royalty all competing with emotions, and whoever cries the loudest will get what they want. Eventually, we'll develop strategies to silence our competitors so that we may win more often, and if we're lucky, we may even be able to sentence them to death, or something similar. We just don't want them to think that they can challenge the true crown. Shut up and let me have what I want. How dare you question the crown? Sound familiar? It's the beginning of a tyrant sitting upon an illusory throne built on emotions. This concludes my three-part discourse on rational abstinence. The next audio recording that I'll be releasing based on my discourse, I will discuss the need for certain types of people in a kingdom, even the illusory one that we seem to be living in, and who among them is the most important, and why. That was the third and final part of the episodes regarding rational abstinence. Derek and I will be trying to have a conversation sometime in this upcoming week. He is currently away in the middle of a swamp. I believe he was kidnapped um, by some unruly and less than favorable relatives. And he is temporarily surviving off of eating crocodile tail and frog's legs. And as a result of his circumstances, his internet is not particularly reliable And we've had some difficulty trying to have an effective call and then release an episode on equivocation, which is something that I've been promising will be coming out sometime. So hopefully we can get to that this week sometime. If that isn't the next episode that comes out, then the next one will be on the most important person in the kingdom, which is based on a written discourse that can be found on my website, So one of those two will be the next ones coming out. That's it for this episode. This is Matt from the Medusa Metacast signing off. Until next time, viciously pursue truth with courage and kindness. Take care of yourselves and one another. Goodbye.